Hello, everyone. I'm Ben West. And I'm Matthew Cantrell. Welcome to... Well, Matthew, it's uh, good to be talking to you again tonight. Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, chatting more about um, some of these really beautiful, like, legends of, uh, you know, Santa and St. Nick and who he was and all these different things. And I'm just excited to hear your thoughts on it. Dude, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of those things that just uh, it's it's impossible not to talk about around the holidays. I feel like uh, not in any sort of negative way. It's just like it's everywhere, and so everybody's thinking about it. And when I say it, I mean the big man himself, yeah. <laughs> Jolly Old Saint Nicholas. There he is. <laughs> uh, and and that's that's really where um, I feel like this conversation where where I want to steer it is um, we've got these two things. We've got these two ideas. And how, how do we kind of reconcile them? How do we understand them? What, what do we take and what do we uh, move on without? Um, and so I'll just, I'll kind of cue it up around, around those things and, and we'll let it flow from there. But uh, Santa Claus and St. Nicholas, who are they really? Like we, we know generally that this is, I will articulate this as like, this is how I grew up. This this was kind of the evolution of my understanding of this, this Jolly Red figure. Um, and how I've been like processing what that means to me as someone who um, is a fan of the saints and uh, just kind of understanding how, how Christian tradition has like shaped so much of our culture and, and, and now, like, where do we find ourselves? So the the thing that I felt like was a real conversion moment for me, uh, which which tipped the scales of, of what I, I had been feeling for a while, was I watched the movie Klaus. So mm-hmm. if you guys haven't seen the movie Klaus, highly recommend it. I love the movie Klaus. Not because of the way that it depicts Santa Claus, but because of it being an awesome movie. Uh, it is kind of a pioneer film. Uh, it was directed by Sergio Pablos, who is an ex-Disney animator who founded his own studio, Spa Studios, um, in Spain. And he th- this was uh, his inaugural feature. And so it's uh, a combination of techniques. It looks kind of 3D, but it's actually 2D hand animated. Um, and they, they had some pretty impressive um, uh, software that they actually built for, for the, the movie, for the pipeline, to do this sort of realistic shading pass. And so it's all, um, you know, very organic shapes. They're very uh, art directed. They're 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 very characterful. Um, the movement is very expressive. It's not typically what you see in three D. Um, it's very natural um, and very appealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's but it's also not sort of like flat cell shaded Cinderella. It's it's very dimensional. It's very um, uh, immersive and it feels really warm because of that. So general synopsis is you, you've got a, um, a postman. Sorry. Let me even back that up further. You've got a, uh, heir, an heir who is the, uh, kind of like a spoiled brat and his, his, his wealthy father, I think has like founded the, the postal service in, in their country. Um, and, he uh the the main character i actually forget his name uh has sort of like is doing his 
completing his obligatory rounds of like, yes, I tried working in the post office. And he, he like, at no point was he committed to it. Um, and so he comes in and he's like, oh, yeah, I guess it didn't work. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks for giving me the shot, dad. And his dad's like, no, this is it. This is the last straw. You punk. I'm like, you, you've passed your test despite your attempts not to pass it. I'm sending you to the furthest post office that we have in like nowhere, nowheresville. And you need to uh, deliver, what is it, like 100 letters by the end of the year. That sounds low, but, you know, we'll, we'll just use that number. 100 letters by the end of the year or you're cut off. So that's that's how the movie kicks off is you've got this whiny po- boy who's been forced to be a postman traveling to uh, Dinksville. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. Um, and when he gets there, he realizes that it is a very strong Hatfields and McCoys situation where there are two families in this village that have literally been fighting and killing each other for like centuries. Wow. <laughs> and so he comes into a very violent uh, wel- welcoming there and is trying to figure out how to even convince people to send mail so that he can save his inheritance. Uh, and during his stay there, he meets the woodsman, this man out in the woods who is very stoic, doesn't really participate in any of the the shenanigans in the town, um, who is also a toy maker who has this home full of toys. Uh, and he, he says, okay, I've got a deal for you. Like, I will help you deliver, uh, get rid of all these toys that you're not using, that you've made, that no one you know, that, that haven't made it into children's hands. Um, I, I will do it for free. Like, all I need is the toys to give. And and the way that he's going to convince everybody to get those toys is you have to write a letter. Uh, and so he he's, he's that's the, the the way that he's concocted that he's he's going to save his skin. So it kind of progresses along and it's it's an origin story for Santa Claus. And so the woodsman is becomes this Santa figure and there's uh, lines throughout that feel very reminiscent of a lot of Christmassy movies that we see, which is, I, I think the big one was um, one small act of kindness or a, a single act of kindness always sparks another or something like that. And big thing on generosity, uh, big thing on selflessness and reconciliation and all the things that I think tend to characterize holiday movies, which is great that that holiday movies uh, have all that stuff. Um, it's interesting that they have those things and maybe that's a podcast topic for another day. But I watched that and as a Christian who really values the story of St. Nicholas... I'm like, this is not fair. This isn't it. Like, I I get, like, like this is a cool twist, and I'm not going to, like, fault them for, for having come up with this, but it's like, I don't like what's happening to St. Nicholas culturally. Um, and, and it's like, point to, you know, a hundred other examples where the, it's like, Santa Claus is like the man with many, many names. It's mm-hmm. like, jolly old St. Nicholas, uh, Santa Claus insert others uh i can't believe i can't i'm drawing a blank here but um you see him depicted in in any number of ways and it's all each of them are kind of like this fusion of different elements of what makes up the essential character of this mythic figure Mm -hmm. um so you've got like popular movies like the santa claus and even like we did an episode on this earlier but like rise of the guardians that's Mm -hmm. it, it was almost like uh, a distinct take on Santa that was supposed to feel different from what you normally see, but it still kind of had those essential Santa qualities. Um, all of this to say, like, it's very, very different 
from Saint Nicholas, which mm-hmm. Matthew, can I can I kick this to you because I know yeah. you, you know the saint stories a lot a lot better than I do. I know he was a, a third century Turkish bishop. Yes, but, but well, even before I, that, so um, yeah, there's there's not a lot known like about Saint Nicholas that's like hard and fast, but there's a few things that were recorded and are understood that um, go from there, and then there's a few. Um, Christian legends that go all the way back to his time that we can say are pretty, not not necessarily like oh yeah, like somebody logged that down as a historical fact, but the legend is is what we would consider a Christian legend, which is pretty reliable. Um, but ultimately, what we know, like recorded history about who this man was, was um, he he was in Turkey and Mira was the town that he grew up in. His parents were very wealthy, and that they died when he was very young. Um, and that he inherited that wealth and had devoted his entire life to Christ. And so he took that wealth and he distributed it to the poor as often as he could. Um, and in varied ways he would give, he just gave it all away. And when he finally given it all, um, there was one, um, they, they knew they needed to elect a new bishop for Mira. And, um, there was a whole group of bishops from the area who were determining and praying about it. And, um, the Bishop of Mira was told in a dream by the Lord that a, a man, a young man named Nicholas, whoever the first person to come in the church for Christmas mass, um, that that young man, his name would be Nicholas and that you should ordain him the Bishop. And so that next Sunday he was waiting and a young man comes in with the last of his wealth to distribute and put into the church before other people get there so that he could drop it off and then leave. Uh, and they would have this wealth to be able to distribute um, at mass and the bishop catches him at the door and tells him, uh, asks him his name. And he says, my name is Nicholas. And he says, you will be the Bishop of Mira. And so that's like one of the legends, but it's like, um, understood that he, he was unanimously elected as the Bishop of Mira and was a, a very faithful Bishop. Um, some of the beautiful legends that you get from him, um, are where we get the ideas of the shoes and like the, um, the woodsman actually is really interesting. There was a um, one of the first stories that's kind of a, a beautiful legend is that he he would see Mira was a port town and he really saw the slave trade happening a lot and he had a distinct hatred of slavery and so he would buy as many slaves as he could and he would free them under his you know uh, ownership and take care of them and have them as members of his household and so you might sometimes hear there's like um people who don't like St. Nicholas because they're like, well, he owns slaves. It was like, well, he had slaves that worked in his household, but he had freed them and treated them as equals. Um, and so it's only people who don't know the details that think, oh, he was a slave owner and a terrible, like, no, every slave he bought, he freed and offered them the opportunity to go or to stay in his household and work alongside him for the charity of the poor. And so he did have former slaves who he had freed, who he took care of and served him in his ministry of distributing his wealth and helping the poor. Um, and so you get some of the traditions around the world where you have um, kind of the, the uh, servants who go around and help bring the gifts to other people, which is where the idea of the elves came from, um, is that he has those who help distribute, um, you know, the, the gifts to other people. And so uh, the first slave, apparently this is like one of the legends, the first slave that he freed 
um, he had asked his father for a horse and his father gave him a beautiful colt and he loved it very much. And he was walking through the town with his colt or riding through the town and he first saw a slave auction and he saw a sick little boy and he, he couldn't stand it. So he sold his horse to save the boy. Um, and that was the first slave that he freed. Um, so that's a beautiful element of his story. Um, where do we get the, the kind of gifts down the chimney thing? Um, there was a woodcutter um, or a woodsman who owed a deep debt to um, the local Roman authorities, and they were going to come and take his three daughters as slaves um, from him. And so he didn't know how he was going to pay the debt. One of the servants of the household had heard the story and came and reported it to Nicholas, and Nicholas knew that the man would be too proud to accept the money. Um, out of hand and so he snuck up on top of his roof dropped three bags of gold down the chimney that was more than enough to pay off the debt and have a dowry for his daughters to get married and um he he got caught kind of in the midst of all that or like they knew that it was him um and that was one of his first like big acts of charity that was kind of he would secretly go around and, and distribute uh, because the roman authorities did not like him um rome had not begun like diocletian had not become um, like it begun his um, uh, persecution yet, but Caesar Galerius at the time um, wanted to persecute the Christians. His mother hated Christians and was nagging him to do that. And at the time, uh, Diocletian, who had been a great emperor, um, started this thing where in the different districts of Rome, he had an Augustus who was like the higher emperor. And then he had a Caesar who was under him, who was the one who would become the Augustus and they would elect another Caesar um, in the meantime. And so it was a system he had set up where he's like, okay, instead of all these assassinations and killing people for power, we can have the the wise Augustus who runs the empire, who trains up the Caesar underneath him, who will then come into power. And so his Caesar, Caesar Galerius, wanted to trigger a Christian persecution. So um, because of that, Nicholas kind of did his stuff in the, in the dark because a lot of it was uh, due to the oppression of Rome. Uh, that people were in these destitute places. And so he didn't want to trigger more persecution and more uh, hardship. So he snuck around and did these things in secret rather than open charity um, because it was undermining Roman authority. Um, and so that's where you get the kind of like sneaking around and hiding it and stuff like that and like um, all that. So then um, there was another cool story of um, orphan boys were disappearing on the streets and Nicholas... Um, found out that this is happening, did some investigating and sleuthing around the town, the town found out that there was a man who owned a butcher shop and he could not afford meat. And so he was kidnapping these boys and was going to use them. Um, and Nicholas broke into his cellar, freed the boys and beat the living heck out of that guy and sent him out of town um, and excommunicated him. Well, he, he wasn't Christian, but like, he like was like, get the heck out of here and like uh, rescued these uh, kids from this so there's these different That's legends insane. and stuff um ultimately yeah. where do we land with with some of the other things that came out um eventually caesar glarius got his way diocletian started one of the worst christian persecutions in the roman empire um and they went after bishops and leaders and communities and put them in prison to try and get them to recant and turn against the faith so they could demoralize um the other Christians. And so while they were killing other Christians, they tried to round up the leaders and keep them in prison to torture them into recanting and, and burning incense to the gods. And so Nicholas was captured. Um, his cathedral was set on fire and broken down with axes. Um, and then um, 
he was put in prison for years and years. Um, I think it was like two or three decades that maybe he might have been in prison, but they're not sure. Oh, my word. Um, so eventually he was set free. And so where do we get the whole connection to Christmas? Well, first of all, his um, the day of his death that's recorded is December 6th, which is the day that we celebrate his feast. As in the Catholic tradition and Orthodox tradition, you usually celebrate a saint's feast day on the day that they died um, because it's their heavenly birthday. And so uh, December 6th, so it's around Christmas time, he gave gifts and was very charitable. But also during the time um, when Constantine took over and made Christianity the preferred religion of the empire, um, in the midst of all of that, there was this controversy with a bishop named Arius who was denying the divinity of Jesus, that he was just a man, the highest of creatures. Um, And Nicholas was one of the bishops that argued against that and argued for the incarnation. And, And some of the ways he spoke into the conversation was about the infant, the infancy of Jesus and that God became man and, and not just a man that appeared, but actually was born of a woman. And so the way that he is recorded kind of arguing against Arius was from this incarnational argument, which is how many of them were, but that's where you kind of get the defense of Christmas and his connection to Christmas was he was making those arguments in the midst of these councils. Um, And so um, that's pretty much all we know about St. Nicholas uh, kind of gives you some framework for where you got some of these legends and ideas and, um, that's kind of where we drew from Santa Claus and different traditions and churches over the years that turned into these more commercialized ones. Dang, man, that was, that was a breakdown. That was, I learned a ton about St. Nicholas there. Um, that's, I, I, you mentioned a couple things, which is like, it's really cool to see the legend in seed form and then observe the kind of way that it's adapted. And I think that's like, that's exactly where I kind of want us to like finish the second half of this discussion is, you know, each culture that that story touches, you know, it, it gives something to the culture, but then it also takes something from it. And so like elves, I'm sure like the helpers that, that he had were probably not pointy eared. There, <laughs> there was probably no conception of what an elf was, you know, to, to the ancient Turks and the ancient Romans. And so it's like at some point along the way, there was a confluence of stories where they're like, Secret helpers? Oh, we've got secret helpers in our culture. We call them elves. <laughs> and, and, you know, we sort of like pick that up and then it keeps rolling. And then the next culture is like, elves, secret helpers? Okay, sure. Yeah, let's let's go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so where we find ourselves is like centuries of these sort of amalgamations of different cultural narratives and stories and ways that they've sort of adapted and, and become intertwined. And so like, how do we, how do we like, disentangle i guess what what ought to be disentangled in the way that you very clearly articulated here but also sort of i guess preserve like whatever is is worth preserving because one of the things that i want to point out is this this thing of like this american christian mythology so we've we've got a number of feasts um or holidays that we celebrate as a country which are christian in origin but are very far from christian in in celebration um saint nicholas St. Patrick, yeah. St. Valentine, among others, you know, there's, there's these great saints that, that, that the reason for the festival, the reason for the feasting, you know, has a very particular Christian root um, that to, to the best of my judgment, it seems like we've kind of rooted all of that out, like commercially, right? Like that there's, there's this rejection of the kind of 
uh, Christian foundation of a holiday, but but keeping of a lot of the trappings of the tradition. And so it, it's interesting that in a movie like Klaus and in a movie like the Santa Claus and, and whatever else, there's there's like hundreds of Santa Claus movies. Um, I think the one this year coming out is Violent Night, which yeah, like, makes I saw me that. want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, but but this, there's just like... I, when I saw that, I saw the trailer for it. I have not seen the movie. Nor, <laughs> nor will I, to be clear. <laughs> got to pick and choose and that's just not a not a chooser for me (laughs) right but but there's this this attempt i think to hallow and to sacramentalize um this feeling and this this grasping that we have for for the feast and it's it's a little bit tragic to see Uh, i think it gives us a great opportunity you know as christians to speak into that but also a great opportunity within families to be like guess what this isn't a hollow holiday. Like we've we've got much meaning, much reason to rejoice and and a lot to reflect on and a lot to sort of like be challenged on, but also draw inspiration from um, and to give glory to God for the way that he, he acts throughout history and pours his grace into his saints and raises them up. And so I think that's like, on the one hand, that's, that's uh, an encouragement to parents mm-hmm. is like, talk about St. Nicholas. Let's like, let's really dive in, like double down. Um, and and we'll, we'll we'll have a minute in a second here where, where we can kind of share um, how we how we do Santa Claus and how we do Saint Nick in in each of our respective houses because we've got little kids and that's obviously a discussion that we've need to had needed to have with our our spouses uh, you know each year for a couple of years now mm-hmm. but I don't know it's just like this this disassociation of of the holiday you know from from the cause that uh, it's it's a little tragic. Um, but I also don't want to, that, that feels like, I guess, superficial to just leave it there. So I'm interested, Matthew, if you've got any kind of responses to this, yeah. this evolution of legends and, and how do we, yeah. well, how do we place ourselves? Traditions and legends are so important to, to life and to our society. And I think having family traditions is very, very important. Um, so there's some families I know who don't do any Santa Claus at all. And they focus more on, you know, um, the three wise men and have that be an element that's, you know, um, some cultures that's actually the main thing they celebrate is epiphany, which is after Christmas when the wise men came and appeared and that their gifts are, are given at epiphany. They don't do gifts on Christmas. They do other things. Um, I know others that, you know, they do Santa and the whole thing and, um, balance it between. And so, um, that was something for us is like, we wanted to know what are our traditions going to be? And how can we hold fast to those? And like, um, there's many ways you can do it, but the right way is to to make sure that Christ is at the center of it and that everything that we do aims and points towards that element of what are we actually celebrating here? And so that was a, a question for us was like, okay, well, you know, um, do, does Santa and doing Santa Claus and St. Nicholas um, detract and distract or does it you know enhance the the experience of Jesus and the, and the Lord and his um, Christmas day and so that was kind of our big question was um, what are we going to do to um, help really bring out more of just the joy of Christmas and and to show these different stories and so one of the legends about Saint Nicholas that is one of the most famous that I didn't even mention in the synopsis was <laughs> Um, the gifts inside of shoes that there was a, a poor widow who 
wasn't going to be able to feed their family. And um, St. Nicholas went in uh, the night and he put uh, money and food in the shoes of her children so that when they woke up, they found gold and uh, food in their shoes and their family was able to um, take care of themselves. This widow was able to, to support her family um, in a time where they wouldn't have been able to. And so the tradition was born of putting gifts in shoes um, and also the chimney one I mentioned before. Um, and so that's a beautiful St. Nicholas thing is on St. Nicholas Day on the 6th, we have the girls' shoes outside of their room and we put stuff in their shoes and they get to come out in the morning. <gasps> ah, there's stuff in my shoes. And like we talked about, you know, the the beauty of, of the charity of St. Nicholas and the ways that he gave and, um, you know, uh, yeah, we get to we, celebrate we do that, that too. element. Yeah, and, like, and that's like a cool a very, way. Sorry. It's a very natural way to, to like lead into that story. So it's like, whenever the question necessarily will arise, why are we doing presents in shoes? It's like, well, let me tell you the story of St. Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then also, you know, we we have not necessarily discouraged um, kind of the Santa Claus element. Like we we watched the uh, Rankin-Bass Rudolph um, just yesterday and um, enjoyed that. And like we watched the Frosty the Snowman, uh, you know, Lauren, I even like made up some stories with the girls about stuff where Kiara um, was mixing up um, the song for Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And so I made up uh, Rudolph the Carrot-Nosed Snow Deer. And (laughs) it's very silly. And I rewrote the entire song to be about Frosty the... No, yeah, sorry. Frosty the Carrot-Nosed Snow Deer. Um, So Frosty is the snow deer. He's got a shiny carrot nose. Santa tries to take and eat the nose, and then he sneezes all over Santa. It's a very silly song, and they (laughs) love it. Covered Santa in boogies is the final line, and they think (laughs) it's so funny. And then my my oldest is like, I'm not allowed to say boogies in school, so can can we change it? And I was like, all right, so it's covered Santa in a sneeze. So that's... (laughs) Because she got in trouble for saying boogie. So, but it's just fun. Like, we, we kind of like make up our own things. So, like, now, like, I don't know if Frosty the red nosed, carrot nosed snow deer is a one year thing or if next year we'll be seeing him. But, right. Um, but my family has cool traditions. Uh, we've started doing some new ones, but we also have some cool ones that, um, that, so like my extended family, we paint, we, last year we got together and painted Christmas pictures and we did that again this year. And I think that's such a cool tradition. So as you cool, as yeah. you find traditions, and, and my painting was Frosty the Carrot Nose Snow Deer. So, oh, um, of course. <laughs> um, so maybe I'll put a picture in this description or something. I don't know if we want to do that, but it's silly. But yeah, so we're, we're kind of figuring it out and, and bumbling through and just kind of creating these beautiful traditions together. But our key thing is making sure that Christ is at the center of it all. And that even in the midst of the lore and the fun of these other things, knowing that it, it all needs to point back towards uh, the gift of Christ in our life and that, you know, he is the true and beautiful gift of our, our lives and that we want to give gifts to one another to be like him, that he gave everything for us. And so we want to give to show love to everyone. And Santa did that. Um, St. Nicholas did that. And, uh, you know, we want to be doing that in our household. So that's kind of where we've kind of landed with it. and um, Wanting to kind of focus in on that stuff. Nice. Yeah, no, I think that getting specific is huge because it seems innocuous the the that that extra step that's like, well, I think it's it's, you know, it's good to tell people to to have kindness and to to be generous and and all these things. And it's like, absolutely. Not going to tell you not to do that stuff. Um 
but there there is if if you don't bring Christ in as the reason you're actually missing the point and you're you're building something else so there is um this is going to seem like a strange example but but track with me for a second um in the pacific there are uh, religions that have sprung up um called cargo cults uh I think uh, John Frum is the, the name of, of one of the major ones, but they are these sort of like uh, uh, practices and groups who, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not an expert on this stuff, but <laughs> the, that uh, in, initially, immediately post-World War II, the inhabitants of these small islands that um, these these large countries would use as staging bases for for their operations would come out to the runways and perform the motions that they had seen the flight controllers using um, to get the cargo shipments. And so a lot of times there was these sort of peace offerings to the, the people on these islands of things like cigarettes and you know whatever, whatever other small things. Um, and so in order to get that stuff again, a lot of times they would go out and then they would wave their arms like they had seen the people wave their arms before and wait for the stuff to come out of the sky. That's that's an over maybe an oversimplification, but I think the concept holds. Um that like celebrating Christmas in a way and and like calling it Christmas um and uh but but waving your arms and and making a show of it looking like Christmas is not necessarily going to get the thing that you want to come out of the sky to come out of the sky <laughs> the, the the thing being love and jesus right that like we want that happiness and um i think when we when we just sort of leave it at be good um and we we just blaze past why why it's worth being good to each other why generosity is important who showed us how to be generous what it all points to and where we all go with it. Um, that just means that you you sort of land in this this self-construction and in this vacuum where eventually you're going to come face to face to face with the question, why do I need to be good to other people? And if you can't come up with an answer, then it turns out you don't need to be good to other people. Yeah. Um, that's that's maybe like uh, a bit far in terms of, like a logical progression, but I think the fact that that's there in a seed form means that that um, genuine desire is is can be harmful when not connected to the kind of central mystery. Yeah, and I think that's um, why these legends are so important. Is they they help communicate the beauty and truth of why we're really doing what we're doing, and so that however people iterate that in their lives. The, the primary focus is how are we keeping <laughs> the traditional thing people say, keeping Christ in Christmas. But it's like, <laughs> you know, there, there's so many beautiful things to do, like Christmas morning and yeah. like getting together with family and stuff like that. Um, it can be easy in the midst of all of this for church to feel like an afterthought or even a nuisance. Like, gosh, yeah, we got to stick church in here somewhere. And it can feel like, gosh, like, well, I don't know. But that's like the most beautiful element of it is getting to come and worship the Lord. And so... Mm. Um, just prayerfully considering how do we interact with Christmas? How am I drawing people into the true celebration and joy of Christ? 
And however people do that and however it's enhanced by the beautiful, fun things that we do around it, it makes it special. And it really makes it a sacred time that our families and children remember. And so um, tell us how you celebrate Christmas. And we'd love to hear more in the uh, conversation about it. So thank you guys for everything you do. And Ben, as always, I love these conversations. They're so fun. (laughs) Sorry, I stretched there at the end. but. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Echoes of Eternity. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating if you like the show. And be sure to tell us your thoughts and what you want Ben and Matthew to talk about in future episodes. Tune in next time to hear more Eternal Echoes.